Hey y'all, welcome back for another episode of MD Tribe. This week we have Dr. Fenwa Milhouse, who is a board certified urologist specializing in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. She is a University of Texas alum, a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. She is Nigerian and a mother of three, and she is 100% hilarious. Like I absolutely love her content. She's definitely my favorite urologist. <laughs> And I'm really excited for y'all to hear her story. She has an incredible story to share. Um, and I just came across her on Instagram and I really wanted to amplify everything that she's saying in her platform. So I'm really excited to have her here and for you guys to learn from her. So without further ado, here's MD Tribe. another episode. This week we have Dr. Fenwa Milhouse and I'm very excited because she's your favorite urologist and I'm very excited to interview her. So without further ado, I'll let her and give us a little bit of background about herself. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Dr. Fenwa Milhouse and I am a board certified urologist. Uh, what that means is I am a, I am a surgical subspecialist and, that deals with the urinary tract or urinary system from the kidneys, ureters, bladder, and the urethra. We also deal with the male reproductive system. And I am a subspecialist or fellowship trained urologist, uh, and I subspecialize in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. So that means beyond the general urology, my focus um, is particularly focused on stuff uh, urologically that affects primarily women um, and deals with the genital urinary system. Amazing. So we're going to go ahead and dive right into questions because I have so many. <laughs> so <Not> what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so from the very beginning, what first sparked your interest to become a physician? One of those classic stories um, that I have always wanted to be in healthcare or a caregiver or provide, you know, medicine in some capacity, um, as far as I can remember that spoke to me. My mother um, is a retired nurse. Uh, so part of, and my dad is a geologist. So both kind of are, you know, science background and obviously my mom in the healthcare. Um, so I think that that just was natural to me to appeal to be, and plus I'm Nigerian. So <laughs> as a Nigerian, you really get ingrained growing up uh, having three options uh, for your career, uh, as your parents would like that to be. So a uh, physician, engineer, or lawyer. <laughs> um, um, I laugh because it's, it's true, um, but thankfully it's kind of getting less, you know, we're kind of getting out of that stereotypical um, um, limitations. But yes, I naturally inclined to want to do, be a doctor or medicine. That's so funny because literally the last future doctor that I interviewed, she said the exact same thing. She says, I'm Nigerian and we have three options. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. See, we all say the same thing because it's all very true. <laughs> yeah. So did you have any, um, actually any physicians in your family previously? 
not medical physicians. Okay. Um, like I said, my do- my dad was is a geologist. Oh, he's not a geologist anymore. He's a retired geologist. So he is a P and he is Dr. Fama Quinoa. He got his PhD in geology, but not at all um, a medical physician. I didn't have any medical physicians, um, you know, that I knew in my family. You know. Okay. So what was your experience like as a pre-medical student? What, what were you involved with that helped you pursue that even more and develop your passion for medicine? Well, honestly, as a pre-medical student, I was more socially and culturally active than I was, you know, involved in medical and healthcare things. Um, I, I went to University of Texas in Austin and I um, was very involved in like social services in and around Austin. I was very involved in like political awareness um, as a black um, person attending a predominantly white institution. Um, there definitely was a black community that was really tight knit because there was only 3% of us um, in the entire University of Texas of Austin, only 3% black. And so we um, were very, very, very involved. And, and, and that created, um, that created traits and characteristics and leadership skills that I think has been able to help me in various aspects of my medical career or pursuit after that. I did volunteer uh, at a local Austin hospital uh, for a while um, as a, but really beyond, and I was involved in some of the pre-med organizations, but really my, the bulk of my um, time spent as an undergrad was being socially and politically involved. Okay. Is that where you um, pledged Delta Sigma Theta? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I saw saw that on your Instagram as well, and I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I pledged Delta Sigma Theta sorority my sophomore year, and the thing about um, African-American sororities and fraternities is that it is very much a, 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 it's a big commitment. This isn't just... Um, like, you know, hey, we're going to throw parties and we're going to do step shows and that type of thing. Um, this is no, we're, we are going to be active and uh, service. We're a service organization, period. And we are um, a lifetime committed service organization. So even now I am, uh, I am involved in my uh, alumni chapter uh, mm-hmm. locally uh, where I live. So it's a lot of work. It was a lot of things that we did um, throughout the community. And I'm really proud of that experience as an undergrad and my continued um, involvement or my continued, the membership that, uh, that, uh, uh, that I've become into uh, I feel very fulfilled in that it has taught me a lot of things about myself and it has provided me uh, with opportunities that I don't think I would have had had I not been a Delta. That is amazing. And yeah. you have been, you all have been around for a very long time. Did you have any mentors within um, Delta Sigma Theta that you were able to get support from when you were on your pre-medical journey? So, yes, I mean, there were very few uh, alumni that were 
doctors. There's one in particular that I was able to kind of pick her brain mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and in, in my immediate time and chapter sores or sorority sisters, uh, n- none of them except for me were going into medicine or medical school, I should say. And, you know, we had, um, I had sorority sisters who were doing pharmacy, who were doing nursing, um, that sort of stuff. I really, honestly, my mentor, my main mentor during that time was my um, best friend, one of my best friends. And she actually was four, she's actually four years older than me. And so she was, like every step, she was like one step ahead, you see. And so when I was in high school, she was going, she was um, in college. And so she, and we're, we were, you might be wondering like, how did you become this best friend that's like four years older? Um, Because uh, our families are really close and I've known each other for years. So she was in college. I was in high school. I learned, you know, what to expect being an undergrad and what I needed to do to kind of be a competitive pre-med, st- pre-med student or a medical applicant. And then same thing, when I got to undergrad, she was in medical school. So again, she's teaching me that and then be like every step of the way, she was one step ahead. So that really is who I uh, look to. Awesome. Yeah. And that's why I just asked, because I also crossed into a sorority um, here at FSU, but it's called Theta Nu Xi, and it's a multicultural sorority, and we're fairly new. So I guess my struggle was that since we were so new, uh, I didn't have a lot of sisters to rely upon um, that went into medicine. I did have one, and she was very helpful. She's also in medical school. She's a third year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I wanted to ask. And yeah. kind of I guess a little bit related to um, D9, um, how do you feel with uh, the new vice president of the United States? <laughs> uh, of course, I'm ecstatic. I'm like uh, uh, amazed. I feel so happy. I mean, she's the first woman, okay? And, <laughs> she, and to be the first woman who's also the first biracial, Black, Indian, Blindian, woman i mean i'm you know over the moon and she went to an hbcu which i did not but she went to an hbcu (laughs) which means a historically black college or university howard and she pledged like you mentioned one of the divine nine so the divine nine is the um our um a collection of black or historically black african-american sororities and fraternities so she is not a delta she is an uh Alpha Kappa Alpha, and I'm a Delta. But you know what? It first of all, it's all love in the Divine Nine, and Deltas and AKAs, Alpha Kappa Alpha, have like a very connected, very very shared history. We actually um, started kind of as an offshoot of AKA. So I feel like I'm celebrating along with all my AKA sisters. <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, I saw that and I was like, they must be so excited. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, we are very happy. (laughs) Okay, so now that kind of brings me to, I kind of want to talk about your journey in applying to medical school. Was the University of Texas at Houston where you went for medical school? Is that correct? Yes. Okay, and was that your first choice? If so, like what brought you to that institution? That's a great, great, great question. So um, when I applied for medical school, I was uh, in Texas and Texas has six public schools, medical schools, 
uh, in the state, which is amazing. Okay. I mean, no state I think has an, has that. So I, and they made it pretty easy to apply to all of, all of the Texas public schools. It was pretty easy um, and inexpensive. So I applied to all of the Texas public, Texas medical public schools. A couple of them were in locations that I really wasn't thrilled to live, okay. but I applied. And then I applied to Baylor, uh, which is a private, um, private school in Texas, Baylor and, and Houston. Um, and I think I applied to a couple of places out of state, but, you know, I was looking to stay in state because, you know, medical school is expensive. So, yeah. <laughs> I <can> um, really. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't actually get an interview. I didn't get uh, into to Baylor. Uh, I didn't get an uh, interview offer. So it was, um, really came down to, i I was interviewed, all the other ones in Texas, the public schools, I was able to get an interview. And it came down to UT Southwestern in Dallas and UT Houston. And UT Southwestern actually considered the more, the, of the public schools in Texas, medical schools, it's considered the prestigious, you know, the upper echelon. Yeah. And so um, it's like Baylor and UT Southwestern when you think of like upper echelon in medical school in Houston, in Texas. And so I was interviewing at both and I liked my interviews at both, but I had just this like gut feeling at my interview, um, and like visit at UT Houston that this was just going to be a, a family. Like this mm -hmm. was going to be a place that I really felt supported and that I uh, was going to be emotionally happy. Um, and I will say, and again, everybody's different. It's not to say anything bad about UT Southwestern whatsoever. I just didn't get that. Okay. In my, I didn't get that feeling when I was visiting it. And it came down. Um, and I remember when my interviewees telling me, well, when it comes to, uh, you know, getting into, you know, going to medical school, you go with the, the one which is the best, you know, like rank the one that's the best first. That's, that was his, that was somebody at UG Southwestern who interviewed me that said that. And I didn't do that. <laughs> I said, I'm going with my gut and my gut is UT Houston. And I'm so happy. I ranked it first. So yes, to answer your question, it was my first choice where I wanted to go. And I ranked it first. I'm so happy that I got it. I felt very good about my decision. And it turned out to be the you know, the decision, um, because everything that I felt about support I had, and it yeah. was funny, one of my best friends in medical school, she's a great friend to this day. Um, she was um, initially went to UT Southwestern, like was there, I think during the summer before we started and just did not like it. And then, <laughs> so she ended up transferring like begging and transferring to UT Houston oh, wow. for medical school and it's so funny because we both kind of had the same similar experience on our interview but she 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 was she went there first and she just said I need to be back in Houston I want to I want to this is where I want to be so I'm very fortunate because I she's like you know my BFF so oh very cool yeah Dr. Erica Montes was kind of like explaining to me how it's like a match system yes at, at yeah. Texas. so that's very cool and it i can kind of see like you know why you had to rank them so very cool very cool yeah yeah dr erica montes is a great friend and she went to ut san antonio mm -hmm. same time period that i was at ut houston um and she was she's a ut austin grad too so i've known her for a very long time <laughs> oh awesome i yeah. saw you guys did like uh an instagram thing together so yes that was so much fun <laughs> 
very cool. Okay, so now that you, so you went to um, UTA Houston, mm-hmm. what was your experience like in medical school? Medical school was a great experience. Like I said, I felt extremely supported. My classmates and I, we were, we helped each other. Like we weren't cutthroat competitive. Um, We were competitive. Maybe we got a little bit more competitive towards third and fourth, towards fourth year. Mm -hmm. because Some of us were going to the same things, but really honestly, we helped each other out. Like there was like opportunities that we thought, oh, this was great. This is going to be great for, you know, these people who weren't interested in there. We shared it amongst each other. Yeah. Um, so it was a really nice, and then it was a really nice, um, uh, like I said, family. Um, definitely found my niche of friends, uh, primarily through SNMA. SNMA is a Student National Medical Association. It's a medical association that's geared towards primarily um, minority and uh, Black um, medical students. And so I was SNMA president. So that was a great um, experience and uh, was able to do um, a lot of things uh, through that organization to meet a lot of other Black medical students, which were, they're not that many. Um, <laughs> um, but we were a family. Um, I tell p- people that medical school was like college 2.0 in that it was, uh, it, it was also really socially, like we, you know, did we, you know, we partied, <laughs> we celebrated after every block test, we yeah. were out partying. Um, but it was, it's a lot of work. Medical school is no joke. I mean, the, the information's coming at you fast. It's coming um, at you. It's a lot of information coming at you. So you have to stay organized. Like you have to be organized. Um, but it was great. It was a, a great experience. Yeah. But since it's like so much harder, you know, you got to celebrate harder too. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I love it. Yep. <laughs> oh, we did that. <laughs> so what was, um, at what point in medical school did you know that you wanted to do urology? So I say this, like if you go on my Instagram and if you've seen some of my stuff, you know, you've probably heard this story a million times already, but I, um, first of all, didn't even know what urology was until I got to medical school and somebody else in my class told me they were going to be a urologist. Um, this dude. And I said, okay. Oh yeah. And then I had to look it up and I felt silly. Cause I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, That's really me half the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're like faking it. Oh, like, oh, awesome. yeah. <laughs> That's great. Hold on Google. What is this? <laughs> exactly. So I Googled it. I was like, oh mm, yeah. The, like the male, the male gynecologist, uh, urinary system. Mm, and you know, I, and then I saw the pictures of urologists and they're like all men, you know, <laughs> you know, so I didn't think at all that that was something I ever wanted to do. Kind of crossed that, totally dismissed it. Didn't even think coming to my brain until second year when I was sitting in class and we were getting a lecture from the interim chair of urology at University of Texas, Houston. And I'm packing my bags and in walks this, um, statuesque black woman. And she's like, hi, my name is Dr. Lenane Wesney and I'm a urologist and I'm going to talk to you about what urology does and, and what we do and I was like jaw on the floor because up until that moment the only idea I thought about urology was it was men it was like surgeons who were probably not approachable kind of you know intimidating uh, super genius which I'm not and it certainly wasn't women of color it certainly wasn't a black 
person, a black woman. And so in walks this black woman who's urologist and it just changed my whole narrative. It really opened up a possibility that I had not allowed myself to have open up because mm-hmm. again, when you don't see yourself in that role, you can't imagine it. And that's, you know, representation freaking matters. It matters. It changed my life essentially. And I not had that, just that small um, experience. And so that made me open to considering urology back on the list. Like I was like, okay, now let me put urology back on this list of mine that I'm having. And so, and then in third year, we don't, we don't urology and this is a shame and hopefully this is something that's going to change but you could go through your whole medical four years and never have any experience with urology and then not even know that it's such a cool field like the best field ever <laughs> so we you know you have to like luckily get get exposed to it yeah. um, but it's not an automatic thing on a lot of medical student schools um so it wasn't in mine and they didn't really talk about it except for this lecture that we had in second year. So I went out of my way and did a one week urology rotation myself, um, you know, uh, approaching Dr. Wesney and the other urology staff members and did one week on my own during, ba- during spring break and got to see it. And, and that's when I decided I'm going to do urology third year. After that one week, I was like, this is where I want to do how I want to do medicine. Oh. Very cool. And now that you are a full-blown urologist, is <laughs> everything you've ever expected and more? <laughs> well, I love urology. Like, I love my specialty. It is everything I expected and, and, and probably more because I'm doing things that I didn't even think that I would be doing in urology. I mean, the whole, like, sexual medicine on the female, on the women's side of things I'm doing, and I didn't... I didn't anticipate that. And so I'm really feel fulfilled. And I've always, I think, um, kind of sort of, because I really thought I was going to do OB-GYN for a while. I really kind of sort of have been more towards women's issues and that sort yeah. of stuff. So I've been able to kind of come full circle and do all of that, plus do all the cool ur- urologic surgeries um, that we do across men and women. Um, so it is very filling. If I had to choose it again, I would choose it every single time, every single time. Um, medicine, that's a whole nother story. (laughs) Is medicine everything that I wanted and more? That's a whole nother podcast, a conversation. (laughs) The business of medicine is basically what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, business and it's not in the business of health care it's in the business of sick care um, yeah yeah I I understand <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's just like scraping the surface right yes yes but urology is you know definitely one of the most competitive specialties and as a minority I know you definitely emphasize the fact that there's not a lot of women of color in the fields um, which I think can help you as an applicant, but could also hurt you, right? Because of the lack of support. Um, Correct. What What were some of the things that you did as a medical student, um, or you know, applying to residency that you felt helped you stand out as an applicant? Well, I was I 
interviewed for resident for urology residency in 2008. So this is a little bit of a different time period over a decade ago. And urology has become more competitive. I mean, it was competitive then, but it's even more competitive now. Yeah. Um, one big thing is I developed really good relationships with the urologists that I knew mm -hmm. and therefore uh, had really outstanding letters of recommendations. And in particularly in competitive um, smaller specialties like urology, um, where it's a smaller community and the letters go a long way, like a good endorsement from a fellow urologist if you're a urologist at a different department or institution goes a very long way i mean i remember interviewing ucla the uh one of the attendings was like yeah your letters is basically what made you stand out and get th get this interview spot basically so that was probably my biggest asset was that i was able to really just and it's not because i was a all-star like super smart, so I, um, you know, knew all the right answers, like whatever. I think I just was really interested and they saw that. And I was, I went out of my way. I stayed late. I, I came early. I took that week on my own. I uh, got involved in a research project. Um, research, that's another thing that that helps. Um, got involved in a research project. I was really enthusiastic and excited. Um, and when you find a specialty that you can be really enthusiastic and excited, it's easy to just do that. It means easy to stay late and to, you know, uh, and to go the extra mile. Um, you know, even if you're tired. And so they saw all of that, and I made those relationships. And so that really was my biggest asset. The other thing is obviously in a competitive specialty. Unfortunately, still, and these this is changing um, because step. Um, is now going past fail, but I did well on my step one and I worked my ASS off to get that do, you know, to do well um, on my step one. So that helped as well. If you have any tips, slide them into my DMs because <laughs> I'm officially like six months out and yeah. I started reviewing like old material, but you know, some tips, yes. more tips always help. So, of course, yeah. I mean, I, honestly incorporated studying like i incorporated step one study materials into my regular studying for like during second year okay. you know so you're going through second year you're obviously doing your block exams or whatnot i incorporated study materials for step two step one sorry in that it wasn't like i actively and then later I actively studied, but I was, so if I was like, if we were doing a block on cardiology, you know, I would then look up, you know, do some step one questions that were maybe cardiology focused, or I'd look at that part of the first aid and incorporate that into my studying for my block um, and that sort of thing. And that kind of helped then not, it didn't make it feel like step one studying was it's totally separate from my regular studying. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I'm I'm kind of doing that, so I feel yes. a little bit of reassurance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't honestly. I did not do this whole. I'm studying just for step one for six, three to six months before the test. I didn't do it. I couldn't. I just yeah. It, that doesn't work. Like I will get burnt out, and you don't want to burn out. Uh, so I studied intensely for step one six weeks before. Okay. Test, but it wasn't like the first time I'd seen questions or the first time I'd seen the first aid. That wasn't the first time I'm popping the, those things out because I've been yeah. incorporating that, you know, before that.
Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So when you were applying to residency, uh, about how many places did you apply and interview at? So urology, again, competitive specialty. Um, I would imagine other competitive specialties are similar. You apply to a lot of places. Mm -hmm. uh, it gets expensive. Um, so I applied, I believe, again, this is 2008, so you're going to have to forgive me. <laughs> I'm a little old, but two, I think 40 places. Okay. Which is a lot. Um, and of, if I remember, I think I got about maybe 18, 19, 20, I think maybe 20 interviews, which is, which was a lot, which is good. I mean, I don't know how the rules are now, but when I was applying, they kind of were like, you want to ideally get, you know, 10 interviews. Okay. You may not go to every interview. You may not be able to. And I certainly, I don't, I didn't take, I couldn't take all the 20 interviews. Like some of them, <laughs> and, they, and a few of them were places that I was like, I really don't really want to. I applied and then I was like, came, I was like, uh, okay, never mind. I don't really want to yeah. live in. Alaska or something. <laughs> no, no offense to Alaskans. I'm just totally throwing out there, but you know what I'm saying? So, um, so yeah, so I got like eight, I think about 20 interviews and I think I went to 17. Okay. Yeah. You, I also feel like, well, from what you've told me, I feel like you're a competitive applicant and especially with the letters of recommendation, mm -hmm. I feel like it always, it comes down to like who, you know, because you know, nobody really is going to ask you like what grade you got on your cardio exam. It's like if somebody from, you know, a really competitive institution is advocating for you, that goes such a long way. So, yeah, I mean, so to get your foot, like just to get it in the door a bit and people to, to like, just, okay, let me take a better look at you. Your score still as of today matters. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then after that, a lot of that, can depend on who you know, you know, on who, and not maybe just not knowing, oh, I, you know, because my institution wasn't particularly prestigious in the world of urology, I would say, but like what they say about you, mm -hmm. you see what I'm saying? Like how much they endorse you, like how much endorsement that you get can go a very long way. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was coming across your, your Instagram initially, what really struck me the most was the picture you posted of, I think, all the, the graduate uh, fellows in 2014. And you're literally the only woman of color, but one of two women. And I think when I counted, it was like 15 people, right? There was another woman of color there. The, um, there was an Asian American who was okay. my attending, who was one of the only uh, urology she was the only urology attending um, that was a woman. And she wasn't even, she was like an affiliate um, affiliate attending. She wasn't like a University of Chicago, if you will, tenured attending or anything like that. She was primarily a different institution. But anyway, so I was the only, uh, I was the, it was a picture of the graduating class of 2014, which included the residents, which that was me and two other gentlemen. Um, and... Uh, fellows. There was two fellows also in the picture, but they were men, so they kind of blended in with the attendings. So um, all my attendings, except for, you know, the one woman that was kind of an affiliate, were men, um, and my co-residents were men. Um, I will say this, my class was probably the only class I can think of in the last 
10 years around that time that was all minorities. Like we were all minorities. So me, um, black, there, my co-resident was an Asian American man. And then my other co-resident was an Indian um, American man. So just as an aside, but anyway, I took that picture and I'm like, let me get up in front and center. I'm going to be right there, you know, University of Chicago. And the first thing you're going to see is me. <laughs> and I love that picture. <laughs> yes, it is. It is amazing. What was your experience like, uh, in residency, you know, as a minority, but thankfully you had like you know, co-residents that were also minorities. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so University of Chicago is a great place. It was a great place for me to become a urologist. Another trust my gut moment when I interviewed and I was ranking, I really wanted to be in New York City, actually. And, but University of Chicago, my interview, I just felt so much at home. Like this place was going to be good for me. And so I ranked it actually second. Um, I ranked a New York program first. I really wanted to be in New York City. <laughs> really, really, really bad. And when I got University of Chicago, I, I was like, okay, God, I see, I see you trying to, that's where you want me to go. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy. You know, it's my, I mean, to get your second choice is like, great anyway. So I should have been super happy regardless. But anyway, so I, um, so University of Chicago, they support, they want diversity. That's the good thing. My attendings, um, as undiverse as they were, <laughs> most of them being just white men, they really wanted diversity. Um, they really wanted women. They really, they, you know, they, they, you know, and they, um, were, they didn't make me feel at all inferior, okay. um, as a black woman. Like I didn't, they, they, they expected the same things of me, um, as they would. And, I um I will say this though in general as a minority especially as a woman um you really are um you really have to carry yourself in a little bit different way than the men and for you know and and the thing about women is we are very we're very we're more cautious we tend to be more cautious we tend to be maybe a little bit more um uh, have a little bit more self doubt in certain, like, okay, well, let me, let me double check. Let me, you know, double check myself. Am I sure I'm thinking about this or doing this the right way? Um, you know, we just may feel a little bit more intimidated because again, this is, we're kind of trying to beat the patriarchy that has kind of pigeonholed us, you know, in certain, uh, in certain realms. And, yeah. um, and the men tend to be a little bit more of a gusto, like, oh yeah, let me, let me, let me assist you, you know, uh, doctor, whatever. I got this, I got this, or, you know, I got the answer. No, I, you know, and just more deliberate. So I had to learn to be deliberate, um, to have, uh, a, have a, um, a persona of confidence of like, I am like, I'm speaking <laughs> like our president, like a vice president, I'm speaking. Okay. No, I, I have, you know, I rose my hand. I have the answer. I'm speaking, you know, I had to develop that. And even though, let me tell you, I felt like a fraud, probably the whole six years, I felt like that imposter syndrome the entire time what the heck am I doing at University of Chicago Urology? Like, I am not this good. I'm not this smart. I don't, you know, I felt it internally big time, but I just 
faked it. <laughs> I really did. So I know it's a long-winded answer, but it was a good experience. I felt supported for, by and large. There were a few um, instances, fortunately not with my own attendings at University of Chicago. These were with like a few of the rota rotations that we did elsewhere that I did not feel that way, that I felt like I was looked down upon. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. um, those were experiences that I didn't have to endure very long. They were maybe like a few months rotation or something like that. And they weren't the people who were like really judging me or could, could you know, like that, you know, you know, really affecting, yeah, really affecting like my evaluations, if you will. Okay. Um, and definitely, you get stuff from patients that is very off-putting or sexist or racist, you know, so there's that whole thing that, you know, you deal with. But for the most part, patients are respectful and my attendings were very, very supportive and respectful. Awesome. Yeah. And how, how long was your residency training and your fellowship training? Six years for residency which urology is either five or six years, either one doesn't, you know, no one is more advantageous than the other. It's just a six year is most likely a year of research, most likely. Um, so that's what our program was like. Interestingly enough, now my, my program is currently five years now. So they got rid of that. But I did six years of residency and one year of fellowship. Okay, and that was the, the one um, to specialize in women's? Yes, Okay. yep. Awesome. Did you ever at any point, I feel like women in medicine are often deterred from doing longer specialties because of family planning and stuff. Did that ever play a role or, you know, instill any fear or doubts in you? If so, like, how did you navigate that? A hundred percent. Yes, it does. Um, yeah, it's, you know, effed up thing in our world. You know, women are the, you know, natural caregivers. We have to we bear the children. Um, and so that's nine, 10 months of bearing the children. We, you know, then our, then what do we do? We go on maternity leave. What does that look like? And when we come back to work, we're still mothers, you know? Um, and so it's, uh, there were, so a couple things. One is, uh, when I got into residency, I was a single woman. So I really wasn't even, I mean, I'm not, I didn't plan, a single woman, no ties, no nothing. So I'm just like, I'm, you know, I'm just taking care of business. Right. And then, uh, it, by my start of my fifth year, I became a married woman. Uh, I met my husband in, you know, and married my husband within those four years, first four years. And so starting my fifth year, I became a married woman. I actually, um, became a stepmother through that marriage. And then I quickly got pregnant. Um, so I was pregnant into majority of my fifth year. Um, and so um, had, and I remember, oh, so I remember when I got married, a couple co-residents and one of my attendings jokingly, I will say jokingly, oh, don't get pregnant during, you know, the rest of your residency because you know, your co-residents will really be upset because they'll have to like cover, you know, they'll be upset at you. They'll, you know, because you'll be gone and this and that, like it's too busy. And we, we had a really busy, 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 busy urology um, department. 
And I remember, okay, they're joking, whatever, I guess, but have, you know, there's some truth in that joke. And I remember going home and having to make a decision that said, I've got to do what's right for me. <laughs> I can't be focused on anybody else. All right. I got to do what's good for me. So number one, I'm not going to make a decision about my womb based on what somebody else is going to feel like. Okay. <laughs> and I knew I wanted to try to get pregnant. I want to try to be, you know, have, be a mother um, relatively quickly after I got married. And so I wasn't going to put it off after residency despite, you know, so I got a little bit of that feedback. And so I d ignored it. So when I got pregnant, had my kid, um, I, when I was on maternity leave for a month, four weeks. If any longer would stretch out my residency. And I was like, I am not doing this. This is already six years. Good Lord. Okay. So let me go back. So that was rough. That was rough, you know, going back after a month. And I remember, I remember getting mad at my junior residents because they would be a little late. And I'd be like, you know what? When I'm done with uh, and go home, guess what? I have my other job. And that job keeps me up all night and I can still manage to get here on time, you know? <laughs> So um, it was rough. The biggest decision may, I had to make was, do I do fellowship or not? And that was a very hard decision because at that point I was, a, I was you know, a mother of a uh, like 14 month year old um, and you know, a mother of three total really, and because I had two stepkids and then a wife. And it was, it, was, it was a lot and to put my family through, especially because the fellowship was gonna be um, in a different location, it was out of state. Okay. So I couldn't reasonably expect my whole family to come for one year to Minnesota for my residency. It, it wasn't like that when you have like too many obligations. Um, it would have pulled my husband away from our other older two kids. Yeah. His job and all of those things. So. For, I, I kind of made a decision that I wasn't going to do it without the support of my family. I mean, you, you just like, just didn't seem like that was a smart decision. So I had to get the support of my family. And fortunately I had the support of my husband who's amazing. And I had the support of my parents who were like, where are we going? I'm going with you. My mom basically was like, okay, cool. If we going, is, we're going to Minnesota. I'll go with you. Come on. So she can help me take care of Alexis. Yeah. And Alexis split time between me and my husband who was here still in Chicago during that year. And that's how we got through it. But it was hard. It was very hard. It was very hard on my marriage too. It really was. Even though we had support and he was supportive, it's one thing to be supportive. It's another thing to be away physically from your wife, who's also very busy and kind of, um, you know, that whole dynamic. So that's a whole nother conversation too. Kudos <laughs> to y'all. And I did well. It was rough on the marriage, man. <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. I can't even imagine. Yes. What does your everyday look like? If you could, I guess, summarize it. What does your everyday look like as a urologist? And is there any particular, I guess, procedure or um, condition that you like treating? My everyday looks like either I'm in the operating room all day or I'm in the clinic all day. So I have three clinic days during the week and two operating room days during the week. Um, I do like the operating room days better than the clinic days because I'm a surgeon. I like working with my hands. Um, and I love my favorite procedures. Um, one is prolapse surgery. So pelvic organ prolapse 
uh, which is basically a hernia through the vagina. I love fixing those things. You just see it immediately. Like at the beginning of the surgery, it's one thing in the end, you're like, yeah, beautiful. You know, it's fixed. So I really, really, and there's a variety of pelvic organ prolapse surgeries that I do. So I, you know, will do some robotic repairs, which I, I probably are my favorite, favorite surgeries. Like I love the, the robot um, and working surgically with the robot. Um, and then I also like some of our prosthetic procedures that we do. So we'll implant artificial urinary sphincters, uh, particularly into men who have uh, stress incontinence, cough, lap, sneezing leakage. Um, and I like, I like that because it's a very nice and uh, dissection of the male urethra, which I really like. Um, we do penile prosthesis procedures where we implant, art of, you know, implant uh, prosthetic Infl uh, inflatable devices to get an erection. I, I enjoy those cases too. So yeah, I just, you know, it's fun for me. Um, yeah. Those type of things. That's awesome. Do you ever feel like people, I guess, mock any stereotypes because of urology and because of the organ that you deal with? Honestly, it's funny to me, like all, every, the, Stereotype is like, we are silly, like we're sexual, we're, you know, I remember telling all my friends that I was going to do urology, medical school friends, and even some of my undergrad friends are like, what, you're going to be with penises all day? Oh my God, you know, <laughs> and laughing. And just um, urologists, because we deal with so many intimate stuff, you know, we're dealing with, you know, intimate sexual stuff, we're dealing with intimate urinary stuff, we tend to be very, we tend to be like, um, don't take ourselves seriously. We are more laid back. We're easier to talk to. And so um, we just tend to have a, a pretty decent personality. So I, I like bring the jokes on for the most part. Um, some of the, some of the jokes, particularly they come usually from like the patient tend to be a little bit like um, uh, in a very, you know, inappropriate level type stuff. But uh, the stereotypes of urologists are actually generally pretty funny. Um, and the, you know, one stereotype too is that we just are, have cool personalities, like we're, you know, cool people to be around. So I love that stereotype because I totally think that's me. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I also, I guess I'm kind of coming to like the ending of the, the interview where I want to touch upon kind of like your, what you do outside of medicine. Mm -hmm. um, so I noticed that you're very, uh, vocal, you know, and you advocate a lot uh, for the advancement of people of color. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wanted to see how you feel like that plays a role in your everyday life. I started my, so I started my social media platform because um, I'm a black woman urologist <laughs> and I didn't know what urology was until I got to medical school. And I was like, I wonder how many just people just are just like me. Um, or, you know, even in medical school trucking along and have no idea how cool urology is. You know, I, I love what I do. And so when you love what you do, I want to share it and shout it out to the world. Um, and so I wanted people to see a black urologist, black woman surgeon, a black woman physician, um, you know, all of these things. So, and, and, and out of that has, I've been able to nurture a passion for, um, the advancement of minorities in medicine because we both know it's pathetic. <laughs> there is 5% of doctors are black. I think less 
of Latinos, less doctors, even less for Latinos. I think there's like 4%. So it's really pathetic. We have to diversify medicine. We must diversify medicine because we see the consequences um, of the patients. You know, and obviously diversity in medicine isn't the only factor that um, in, uh, imparts in outpatient outcomes. There's a whole slew of um, socioeconomic factors and other factors that honestly um, are very complex. Um, but it is um, imperative that we can we increase our numbers in, diver in diversifying the field. Um, and so that is one of my greatest motivating um, um, uh, ideals. The other thing is I'm a black woman. I'm black first. I have to, I live, I, you know, I, uh, live in a world of systemic racism. And so for me to not have that talk about that, um, I feel like I'm not being myself, Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, I just, you know, and so I, 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 I quickly realized that I need to be vocal about this because I'm not going to be authentic and genuine if I'm not. Um, and, um, out of that has come uh, has has involved me being involved in things that are hopefully going to advocate for my community. Yeah, one thing I've noticed now that we're entering like interview season for yeah. residents, um, well, for fourth years, I noticed. I think one that stuck me struck me the most was uh, women that are applying that can't decide what to do with their hair mm. and how they're going to be perceived based on how they're wearing their hair mm -hmm. and as someone this is my natural hair mm -hmm. i never even thought you know about that and being perceived as unprofessional um what was your experience uh with this and what advice do you have natalia um so hair black hair is a very serious matter a very um maybe in, in some circumstances, touchy matter. So we live in a Eurocentric world. We live in a world where Afrocentric beauty is not considered beauty, is not considered professional. What do I mean? The, our, the way our hair grows naturally out of our freaking heads is considered inferior, considered unprofessional, considered not beautiful. So the way that we're born is considered all of these things. So we have lived in this world that we have tried to change that or to adopt Eurocentric standards of beauties. And I'm not poo-pooing any way somebody wants to wear their hair at all. If you want it nice and straight, you want a long weave, you want a wig, all of that, who cares? But why is that is that when we're now embracing our natural, because the natural hair movement has come in waves. You know, we saw it in the 1970s with the um, Black is Beautiful, um, embracing the Afros and that stuff. And it came back in wave in another wave recently in like the early 2000s. And since then it's picked up, picked up, picked up, picked up. You know, and my personal experience, I interviewed for medical school in 2004, interviewed for residency in 2008. So I had, so the natural wave movement isn't like what it is now where it's, you know, just, you know, flourished. Uh, by 2004, I still had my hair permed, straight, 
we, you know, so it wasn't even a thought to have it in a, you know, I was, you know, that, and again, that's the Eurocentric standard of beauty. So that's, you know, you know, quote unquote professional. 2008, I had, um, gosh, I can't remember residency. Yeah. 2008, I had like a, you know, more sort of kind of natural curl, but I was, you know, I wasn't, um, I, I hadn't fully embraced my kinks. Let's just put it like that. Um, so I can't, I can't speak on my experience because I still was kind of, if you will, locked into the mentality, mentality, if you will, like I hadn't embraced my natural hair then. Yeah. I didn't start that until later. And now you see me have locks <laughs> and I, um, I would tell the current applicants that you should wear your hair what makes you feel confident what makes you feel beautiful and f what anybody else thinks about that okay if locks makes you feel beautiful and confident you wear your locks if your natural hair and curls and twists and braids why should that even be considered not professional why should braids not be considered professional you know, if you like your hair permed and straight, by all means, rock it. So it's easier said than done. I realize that. I really do realize that. And I have talked to young women who, to the, to this day, I was talking to one young woman who's interviewing, and she's like, I have locks, but I'm going to wear this wig over it because I'm just not, you know, she's just not, she's like, I'm going to wait till I get in, and then um, this wig is coming off, and they're going to see my locks. And it's, I get it. I get it, you know, we laughed it off and I get it. I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not here to judge that at all because, you know, I didn't embrace my locks and stuff until after I had made it. Yeah. Um, so it's unfortunate though that we have to think like that still, you know, we have to think like that. We think like that all the time, even, you know, um, you know, oh, okay, am I ready to, we realize that we're gonna probably be portrayed a certain way by some, some somebody. Um, which is crazy. It's what grows yeah. out of her head. You know, ever since I did locks, my hair has grown so much faster and better than it did any other thing that I tried to do. So, <laughs> yes. So, well, thank you so much for that insight because I saw that like trending on my, because I follow a lot of women, especially of color. Yeah. Um, especially in medicine. And they all were facing, it wasn't, it wasn't like the fear of, you know, getting in, it was, they were so focused, like, on the hair aspect, and I was like, this is, you know, I obviously can't understand, because I don't have that issue, but I felt for them, in the sense that, like, that shouldn't be a worry, you know, that shouldn't be something that they have to worry about, you know, mm -hmm. being judged on the choice of hairstyle, hair. yeah. but oh, thank yeah. you for highlighting that, which okay. brings me kind of into my last question, which you know, you have a ton of experience. You are so empowered as a woman in medicine and a woman of color, and you've literally done it all. <laughs> so if you had any golden nuggets for a woman trying to pursue medicine or any minority that wants to pursue medicine, what would you tell them? Maybe something that you wish somebody told you. I say this um, a lot too. Two things. Well, one of them I've already said, fake it till you make it. And what that means is you want to be something, okay, claim that as what you're going to do and and have the mindset of that role, even though you are still 
trying to apply or trying to get in or going through a residency or medical student, you know, medical school. You know, as I was going through urology, I had the mentality like, this is for me. I, I, I am a urologist, even though I wasn't a technically yet, you know, and so I need to think and act accordingly and act this way. Was I absolutely nervous? Did I have um, imposter syndrome? Did I have self-doubt? Did I cry some days at home? Hell yes, all of those things. But when I got to work, when, I, when it was work time, okay. Boop. I, I'm here to I'm here to work. All right. I'm here to put my best face forward. If I'm confident outwardly, then people are going to put more confidence in in me. They're mm-hmm. going to feel more comfortable to say, hey, "Let me teach you how to do this tech surgical technique." Oh, let me have you do this and give you those opportunities. So you really need to have that mentality. And I know inwardly, it may not you may not feel like you are that confident, but you outwardly. The other thing I always say is. Um, and this goes along with it is just having the confidence of a mediocre white man. And it's not to poo poo white men, actually, you know, men in general and white men who, you know, obviously um, are um, the, you know, my majority of medicine, if you will, um, just, they don't have, they don't go through that same process of internal um, uh, inferiority that we often have, we have to contend with as a minority, as a, as a woman, like the shedding that internal inferiority sense that the world has put upon us. Okay. You know, the world has really put that upon us. And so having the confidence of, you know, a mediocre white man just says, you need to have the confidence like this. You have a place at the table. You do have a place at the table. Okay. And if you don't have a place at the table, bring your own table and have that confidence. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean by that. Or bring your own lounge chair. Bring your own lounge chair, whatever. So I've I've heard like make your own, bring your own wood and build your own table. Yes. (laughs) Oh, so good. Yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time for answering all my questions. I know I had a mouthful. (laughs) Oh no, I loved it. And definitely some um, hitting some hot topics that we have seen. But thank you so much for, you know, sharing your wisdom, your experience, and really just being such a positive light for all of us students that are in the dark sometimes. (laughs) So thank you so much. No, you're welcome. It was a pleasure, uh, Natalia. I thank you so very much for including me in this. And I love seeing you and following you. You're beautiful. You're going places. I cannot wait to see what is ahead for you. Thank you so much.